everybody and welcome to another episode of my dog ate my email an email podcast from the dma this podcast is hosted by me lily boev director of client success at future and this episode is co-hosted by steve henderson the head of deliverability at imarsis now this time we're going to be talking about what keeps you up at night and I'm not talking about your noisy neighbors. I'm talking about what in particular about email keeps you awake and plays on your mind. Before we get into the nuts and bolts of this, I just want to say thank you for anyone who is returning to listening to this podcast. I'm glad that our audio recording and our post-production and editing and our Uh, interesting conversation brought you back so just want to say thank you to anyone out there who has come back to listen to our dulcet tones now for me I spend a lot of time thinking about email as I'm sure you can imagine I have a lot of opinions around lots of things but for me the thing that really it's it winds me up is when I especially when I do presentations and I provide examples from B2C companies, so primarily commerce, some travel, but it's mainly B2C. And there's always one B2B marketer in the room that makes a comment around why are there no B2B examples? And it really winds me up because actually, and it's changed slightly, but actually B2B marketing hasn't really shifted from what it was like sort of 10, 15 years ago. And I personally don't think it's as good as it could be. And I think it can definitely take a leaf out of the B2C marketing space. And it really does wind me up and it keeps me up at night about how B2B marketers could learn from the way in which some of these retailers approach their their email marketing. And I'm not saying that B2B marketing is the same, but there's certainly lessons that can be learned because I think there's something to do with the language that I believe it kind of comes across as a little bit depersonalized in my opinion. And that's what keeps me up at night. Now over to Steve to get his thoughts on what he, what keeps him up at night. Well, I've recently moved to head up the, the global delivery team at Amasis from working in a, a predominantly UK-based team and UK-based organization. And the thing that keeps me up at night is the message about deliverability. It's something that I've essentially had no problem explaining and talking about in the UK for the last five, six years. But now that I've got more of a global focus again, I've, I've, I've come to realize that the, the sophistication that we have in the UK and the knowledge that we have in the UK and the, the compliance rules that we have in the UK just aren't universally accepted, aren't universally known. And it, it feels like when I'm talking to some people um, in, in Australia, in, the, uh, in Hong Kong, or, or even in America at times, that I'm going back five, six years in terms of the messaging that I'm having to, to give. You know, a lot of people think that deliverability, email deliverability is something that is 
is technical. It's what the service provider is responsible for. It's something that the technical teams of the service provider, being more specific, are responsible for. And it's not. You know, it's um, deliverability is about um, achieving business goals within boundaries of legislation, industry requirements, codes of conduct. It's it's a um, it's compliance, it's marketing strategy, and there's a little bit of technical stuff in there. But that's the thing that I'm having a lot of conversations about, trying to go back to that mindset that I had five, six years ago and try and remember how, how I helped bring about change. Could because, you give me an example of... of... Yeah. Something that has come up, so just to be a little bit more specific of, of what you've just raised. Yeah, very specifically. It's if, you know, I, I, I work for Amorsis, and if one of our clients um, signs up, what are they actually buying? Sometimes they think that they are buying a tool that gets their emails into the inbox. And that's quite a reasonable assumption on, on the outside of it. Um, but the analogy that I um, try and give is that it's like buying a car and you buy a car to get around the test track a little bit faster. But if the driver's not very good, then it doesn't matter how good the car is. And in fact, the faster the car, the more dangerous it is. So being a specific example is a, a client in Australia. They have um, gone through a going through a, an onboarding phase, onboarding with a new provider. It's a delicate time, and the the point of onboarding is is twofold. It's to to announce to the internet world that your new provider is is legitimate, and they are a, the genuine sender for that brand. And it's not some sort of abuse or phishing attack or some sort of um, spoofed email coming from the wrong place, but it's a genuine email from that brand. And then the second part of onboarding with a new provider is, is ramping up so that you're building that expectation of, of volume so that there's no shock to the system, so that the email filters and the email providers welcome you into the inbox without any problem. So this is how we, we onboard. But if during that onboarding process you you get a you get a question that says, um, "Tomorrow I want to send my full mailing list. I want to do a re-engagement campaign to a million people. Can you tell me how I can do that?" And there's a specific issue that I've not had to deal with for genuinely for four or five years, and I'm having to go back and rack my brains. How how was it that I helped? companies understand those basics again, because they are basics. It's essentially chapter one of email marketing. And at times I'm having to go back to my old playbook and figure out how I, how I won those games. And it's, it's a very, very interesting challenge at the moment. It, it certainly sounds like it. It's uh, I can imagine the difference between what you're thinking about today in the UK and then having to go back five years when you're talking to people in different parts of the world. Well, what do you what do you think is the reason for that 
difference between is is it knowledge is it the infrastructure that they're used to what do you think causes that difference there's a few different things and that is you know, we may not realize it but in the uk we've had um we've had the support in the industry of the dma working with the ico who then work with the the government and we've had an exceptionally effective self-regulatory regime and that's essentially made the uk digital marketing industry really really good and a lot of the places around the world simply don't have that self-regulation and you have entrepreneurial organizations who are just startups who are just collecting data from social media and blasting it out because it's what they do it's what they know and with the growth of social media if you think you if you think of a twitter feed what you've got is a message and a message and a message and a message and it doesn't matter how much you send out apart from it's never enough you need to send out more because that's how social media works you need to send you need to increase your reach you need to increase those touch points and then when people start using email they try and apply the same mindset now in the uk it was different because when email started to grow it was the digital equivalent of direct mail and you had the the policies the processes around around mail which were then essentially applied to email when you look at other parts of the world you've actually it's not starting with direct mail as the that starting point it's social media which is that starting point and that's what drives the initial expectation of how email should work and it's difficult it's difficult to to under, to help people understand that email is fundamentally different because it's it's um it's a, a choice based channel and there's there's a lot more control that the users or the recipients have over the emails that they receive so if you get that messaging wrong the recipients exercise that choice as you know and the emails simply don't work and that's not how it works in social so i think that's one of the big differences between the uk and the emerging digital markets around the world excellent that's really that's really really interesting that you've uh, that you've come across that that difference do you think we're lucky in the uk in that respect lucky no i think we just had to um get over those hurdles five years ago you know when we changed from content is king and the inbox filtering being based on subject lines and message headers and html to text ratios you know we we had we've already had that pain when feedback loops were introduced you know we we've had the pain we've got over it and we've got the next generation coming through who don't know don't know any different so it's not that we're lucky it's just we're a generation we're a digital marketing generation ahead hmm. Just I'm, I'm, I'm going to veer away from the what keeps you up at night because I genuinely would I'd like to record sort of your thoughts on this. So um, with email deliverability in the UK, I'm in at least in my experience in the past, 
has been very focused on the consumer-led ISPs, so your, your Gmails, well, Google, Microsoft, Yahoo, and so on. What kind of difference would you say there is between the consumer-led ISPs and business-to-business -business emails and the email filters that, that, that organizations sort of put in to prevent phishing emails and things like that? What, what, what kind of experience do you have with dealing with the challenges that come with both? Well, B2B is, is going through a change as well. And it's interesting because if you'd asked me this a year ago, it would have been a completely different answer. A year ago, I would have said that B2B is kind of like what B2C used to be, again, five or six years ago, because it is just content filters bolted on top of Outlook or Exchange or some other internal system. And if you think how they work, it's it's the lack of shared information. So you have emails coming into your private corporate network. Your private corporate network doesn't know what's happening in any other private corporate network. So there's no benefit of crowdsourced information. There are a few little bolt-ins that do actually upload information and, and share it, but that's not exactly the norm. So. B2B filters, really up to about a year, 18 months ago, were very, very much focused on content-based filtering rather than reputation-based filtering. So the, the whole deliverability piece for B2B never really focused successfully on strategy and compliance and the, the things that really drive beneficial change inside the, the marketing program. But what I've seen over the last year, 18 months to a year, is the huge growth in cloud-based business email solutions. The number of companies I've seen moving to the likes of Google and Office 365, for example, has been huge. And they, of course, have that cloud-based, crowd-sourced reputation information. And this is whether businesses know this yet or not, but this is going to force businesses to follow the same rules as B2C. Because even if, even if the laws, e-privacy and the electronic communication regulation or UWG in Germany or any of the other laws which cover consumer marketing, even if those consumer marketing laws don't apply to businesses, because of the crowdsourced deliverability and sender reputation information is being shared now across those cloud solutions, those businesses are going to have to adhere to those rules. And this is going to bring um, a, a big change. And this is going to be a problem that some companies are going to have very, very soon if they aren't already suffering them. And when you say crowdsource, are you talking about, um, you know, I, I will mark a, an email as spam because I, this is what I believe. You know, you would do the same because of something you believe. And then those filters learn from the behaviors of the community as opposed to whatever a post, an individual postmaster makes a decision. Yes, absolutely. And if you think the email providers have an incentive to provide 
the best solution, the cleanest inboxes, the best filtering, because organizations will change. If, if an organization is suffering because of inbox filtering, which isn't working, and you've got a competitor who's offering a trial with their solution, which promises cleaner inboxes, which promises better filtering, then you know, companies are going to move. So it doesn't actually matter what the laws state. It's what you believe. It's what I believe as individuals. Do we want those emails? Do we mark those emails as junk or spam? Do we report them? And if enough people do, then that's the sender reputation and those senders will be blocked. It's almost like a, it's like a crowdsourced spam filtering system. Exactly. And that's exactly what sender reputation is. And sender reputation has been limited to B2C for so long, but this, this growth in cloud-based corporate email is bringing that really, really successful sender reputation analysis to um, business to business communications. Mm. You know, it's, it's interesting. Um, email, de email deliverability hasn't, you know, it's been part of my um, professional career, but it's never formed a kind of core part of it until very recently. And I, I've kind of struggled to explain to businesses that I've worked with more recently why this change has happened within the B2B space, which is why why I asked the question in the first place. You know, they've they, I quite often hear, well, we've never had a problem with deliverability in the past. And to then kind of try and almost go back on myself and explain why it's happened. Um, you know, the, the, the kind of increase in cybersecurity, the increase in phishing attacks and the requirement for businesses to protect themselves. You know, it feels as though that just isn't getting through to the people that, that do business to business marketing. What, 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 what's, um, you know, what kind of advice would you give to anyone uh, anyone listening that works in the b2b space how would you explain this shift over the last 18 months around this to be honest lily i think you you summarized it really well it is just an overall industry-wide um shift in terms of focus there's companies who are um suffering because of um negative press they are companies who are suffering because they've got internal pressure. There's companies suffering because they're having um, people phoning them up or writing letters even or emailing them in, complaining about what they're doing because there's this overall change in the way that people are viewing digital, all of the digital marketing, the digital solutions, and the way that data is being used and the way that companies promote themselves online using that data and because these stories about misuse and abuse and breaches and fines and the GDPR are hitting the headlines and they're not just hitting the headlines on the likes of Computer Weekly or an industry publication but they're hitting the headlines on the BBC and the Guardian and the Sun and local radio not just national radio, but local radio. These stories are generating interest. 
interest builds knowledge and knowledge builds scrutiny and the more people asking awkward questions means there's more companies being forced to change and i hear that same message that you hear that why do i need to change i've always done it this way yeah the thing is people are now taking notice and i think that's the difference hmm. i guess the other thing is is as much as i would hate to admit it and probably you email deliverability is perhaps the on the less sexy side of email marketing but it's absolutely critical because you can have the best looking email that you know has gets everything right but if it doesn't end up getting to the person you intended it to go to what's the point in all of the hard work you put into it in the first place and that's that's kind of a, a message that i bring to everyone that's new to the industry as well you know i if i'm walking people around around the office you know you can show people the the design team the sales team the the data science team uh, the people who work on strategy and absolutely every one of those people's working lives is is a complete waste as you say if the end result of what they do doesn't reach the inbox um yeah i guess it's taking but, it back to your car analogy right you can have a really good looking car but if it hasn't got an engine <laughs> it's yeah. pointless it's a pointless you know article so um i think it you know it, it's it's been it's been a really interesting shift for me uh having more of these deliverability conversations but taking it away from the you know what i've experienced with regards to the um the consumer based isps but you know as you say that that requirement is shifting into the b2b space and i wonder you know if you do you have any kind of predictions of where it's going to to be maybe in 12 months time um that's that's really down to the organizations themselves because this industry is um is unique in its success where it self-regulates the, I, I've, I can't name any other industry which self-regulates like email. And what I mean by that is it actually doesn't matter what, what any government says, what any law says. Email works when the recipients are happy. And that is only going to increase. And while GDPR, e-privacy, all the other data reform, information security reform, it's all great, but at the end of the day, even without that, email would still work. Email works because it's self-regulated in as much as email filters are there to, to block and to filter or to deliver email that should be there or shouldn't be there. What's changing is that those filters used to be predominantly B2C, and now it's just a gradual slide to cover the B2B market as well. So no big changes, I predict, but I do see that B2B focus on deliverability success being um, um, definitely being something that we'll see. Excellent. Thank you for that. Well, that was... there, is actually, there is actually one other point. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, one other point on this. No, when sometimes when i'm talking to people about deliverability i see that the fear 
in their eyes. You know, <laughs> people are scared about deliverability. But what I try and explain is that um, we're talking about email and email is easy. With email, you've only got three things. You've got the infrastructure that you send from. And you shouldn't be concerned about that because once that's set up, it's done and it works. You've then got the emails that you send, the actual physical emails that you send, and you've got the recipients that you send them to, and that's your, your data. And you only ever see problems with those two things, really. And the content filtering becoming less important or less predominant means that you have fewer and fewer issues with the content. So it's really all about the data. So deliverability doesn't need to be scary because really all we're talking about is email. And when we're talking about email success, what we're really talking about is the data and how you use it. And if we're talking about data, what we're really talking about is strategy. So if you want to look at deliverability in a different way, start looking at in terms of marketing strategy and how you improve your marketing strategy. And if you do that, you won't have any deliverability problems. And that's all we have time for. Thank you so much for listening. And if you do want to get in touch with us, drop an email to email at dma.org.uk. That's email at dma.org.uk. We will love to hear from you. We want to hear anything in terms of whether you agree or disagree with what we've got to say. If you want to participate in the conversation, give us feedback about the podcast and what you'd like to listen to. We want to hear what you've got to say. I've been your host, Lily Boev, and this has been My Dog Ate My Email. Thank you to my co-host Steve for this episode, and thanks to everyone at the DMA for helping to make this podcast happen.